Hey everyone, and welcome to Cozying Up with a Clear Cut, where we get up close and personal with women that inspire us. Today we are with Miss Liliana Vasquez. She is a style expert, a um, contributor at the Today Show, and correspondent on Access Hollywood. You got it. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me in this beautiful space. I mean, you said wine and diamonds. <laughs> So how could I have said no? Oh, yeah. Shout out to First Leaf for um, sponsoring our buzz. Thank you. It's delicious, by the way. <laughs> I was actually going to compliment you on, because I love Sauvignon Blanc. Me too. And this is fantastic. <laughs> so thank you. Cheers. Cheers. So I, your job right now is mm-hmm. my childhood dream job. Really? Yes. I had no idea. Is that what you wanted to be in broadcast? I always wanted to be so when I was little I was like I want to be Barbara Walters but I also want to be Anna Wintour so (laughs) how do I do both and so my whole life that was kind of like the dream and went to school for it and everything you're from Texas originally yes I'm from Fort Worth Texas so Dallas Fort Worth Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely not the Dallas side definitely (laughs) the Fort Worth side I always make that distinction because Growing up in Dallas is completely foreign to me, and Dallas felt like it was a million miles away Mm -hmm. um, from where I grew up in Fort Worth. But yeah, originally from Texas, but I've lived in New York now, uh, cumulative maybe, I think, almost 11 years. So there was a break in the middle when I lived in Philly. But yeah, definitely more of a a Texan but at heart, but definitely a New Yorker. So how did you go from a girl in Texas to... (laughs) Being on the Today Show and Access Hollywood and on all the red carpets talking about fashion. You know what? It's funny. I get asked this question a lot for interviews and when I do podcasts. And I wish there was like an easy story um, that y'all could follow, but it would take me... Y'all, I... Yeah. Oh, sorry. You caught me. Yeah. I wish there was an easy story for you guys to follow along. Um, But, you know, I have always maintained that my career has really been like a total jungle gym. It has been up, down, left, right, sometimes upside down so much that I didn't know that I could ever be right side up. Um, I have done every job under the sun when it comes to TV and production. Um, I started in radio in college And I think when I go back to what really made a difference in my career and my success, it's all about the foundation. And radio gave me an incredible foundation because radio is built on storytelling and it's storytelling without any pictures. Mm -hmm. So when you're able to write successfully for radio and you're able to communicate emotion and feeling and really engage an audience with a radio story, you should have no problem doing it when you finally get to use video. And so I'm so grateful for the time I had at WRGW when I was in college. And that was really my first kind of foray and step into both entertainment and also production. And when I was in college, I really wanted to work in media, but because I am first generation. So and, am I. Yeah. So both of my parents, my dad was born in Puerto Rico, so American, but my mom's Mexican. You know, they want you to be accountants and they want you to be doctors and lawyers. Oh yeah. Don't forget, (laughs) don't forget the lawyers. Every family needs a couple lawyers. And so the idea of me going to college and focusing on something that to them, this is not frivolous, but to them felt more frivolous and more like a hobby and something that felt very risky, um, would have crushed them. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what? My parents worked so hard to put me in a position to go to college let me do something for them. And when the time is right, hopefully I'll have the opportunity to do something for myself. And the way I found balance in that was 
going to college and studying international business and entrepreneurship, which mm-hmm. made my parents happy. Um, but then using electives and extracurriculars to really fulfill what was I was passionate about, which was media and television and really storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so like all good daughters, um, I went to college and I interviewed for all those like crazy finance jobs, like <laughs> Freddie Mac, Sally Mae. That's what was my life was going to be. And then my uncle threw a curveball at me and was like, hey, I have a friend who works in HR um, in New York at a magazine. And if you're looking for a job, you should meet with her. And I was like, sign me up. Yeah. Um, so I did. I met with her and she was instrumental and introduced me to lots of people. And I got my first job in fashion. Um, I was an assistant um, on the advertising side at W Magazine. And I had always wanted to work in fashion. I loved fashion from the time I was really little. My aunt um, is a seamstress. My other aunt definitely like sews on her free time. She needlepoints. So I grew up with that around me all the time. And it was something that came to me very naturally. And I was like, oh, well, fashion is just an extension of that art and that creation. And my mom, I'm going to say, was very disappointed when I told her that I was taking a $27,000 a year assistant job at a magazine versus like a $80,000 a year job at Freddie Mac that had full health benefits and vacation and 401ks and IRAs and all kinds of letters that I didn't know what they were when I was graduating college. And that put me in the fashion world. And once I was there, I was like, wow, I really don't want to be here because that's, people were mean. That's kind of how I felt too. So yeah. when I went to NYU, like my goal was to always like work at a fashion magazine. Yeah. That was like my dream. Mm-hmm. And I got my dream internship at Teen Vogue. And I, from that internship and then a few others, I realized that um, I wasn't that passionate about it. And people were mean. People were mean. And I think that that's what's so important about interning and having these first jobs and giving women the opportunity to figure out what they like and, more importantly, what they don't like. I think it's interesting that a lot of female-centric businesses like fashion, um, it's strange that there are more women in the industry, but they are so cutthroat and so catty, and that's something that I never understood. Yeah, I still, to this day, don't even understand how we let that happen. And I'm really happy to be part of a group of women and at least my friends and my peers and my professionals in this in this business and in others are just like, yeah, there's no place for that. I think we all went through hell unnecessarily because, by the way, treating me like crap did not make me a better employee. It did not motivate me more. It made me want to get out of that job quicker, which is what I ultimately ended up doing. But I think that's something about fashion, you know, It was permissible to behave that way. And I think now people are saying, listen, you have to treat people with kindness. It doesn't matter what you're doing or how stressful your environment is. Like, you know, you don't see like surgeons going in and treating their nurses like shit. So why do editors get to treat assistants like crap? Like you just should be kind. That's what you should want for your office and for your workplace. And that sadly, that just didn't exist for me when I started at W. And I knew that once I got there, I wasn't going to be there very long. Um, I ended up actually getting fired from W and they were probably right to fire me because I was miserable every day. Um, When I'm not learning, I find myself very emotionally and um, kind of just intellectually stunted and it comes out like every pore of my body. I'm just unhappy. And it was probably the best thing for you to like... Best thing that ever happened to me was getting fired and I had already been interviewing for a job and thankfully that worked perfectly. I got to take like a week off and just kind of reset and say, hey, listen, and it's okay to make a mistake and go to the job that you thought you wanted and realize that, no, actually, I don't want it. And it really was funny because when I look back on it, that job 
while it was not happy while I was there, it planted the seed for what eventually became my blog, which was the Cheap Chica's Guide to Style. And you asked, you know, how did you get on the Today Show? And the short answer is after a lot of misses and a lot of kind of errors and a lot of upside down swings. Um, But the blog is really what ultimately got me to be on TV. So how did you decide to start your blog? Mm -hmm. Um, Like what drove you? Was it boredom? Was it something like missing? Yeah. uh, Well, I said the seed was planted at W. So um, I grew up first generation. We shopped at places like Kohl's and and Ross and Target. And back then, Kohl's and Ross and Target were not what they are now. I have a collaboration with Kohl's right now that I would be thrilled to have shopped in high school. Kohl's is collaborating with all these influencers. I know. Listen, we have stepped up our game. It is one of my favorite places to shop. And yeah, I mean, luckily, there's so many resources now. But back in 1994 um, or 1998, that's just not what didn't exist then. And so the reason that job gave me the opportunity to kind of plant the seed was because I was a budget shopper my whole life. I did it because I had to. We didn't have extra income to spend on fancy clothes, so I learned to make the most of what I had. I knew how to sew. My aunt knew how to sew, so luckily she was able to make me like really cute dresses. I remember going to like bar mitzvahs and she made me like this beautiful like black and white off the shoulder dress. And so I was always super resourceful and always very aware of money in a way that made me really smart and that made me really kind of value being frugal. And so when I was at W, nobody felt like that. Nobody thought like that. And so when I started my blog in 2008, I was like, what are the things that I'm really passionate about? Fashion, one of them. Two, value. And showing women how to find style in their closets and on their and whatever budget they have. And also, how do you afford like three thousand dollars shoes when you're making twenty seven thousand dollars a year? That oh, I know how. Oh, I get it. It's called parents. That's what it is. It's called parents and credit cards. And if you don't have parents that have that kind of cash or you're not willing to go into debt for it, then you're having like some serious designer FOMO, which was me. And I always thought... I shouldn't feel like that. I have a job. I'm happy. I have great friendships. I have a great family. Like, why do I feel left out of this conversation? And I was working at a magazine that, listen, W is like, for me, the pinnacle of fashion. But it's also incredibly exclusive. And I always felt like fashion should be inclusive. You can't walk out of your house naked. Everybody has to get dressed. So fashion is a daily part of every woman's life, no matter who she is, what she does, and what she has in her bank account. So I thought, let me give women a place to feel included in this conversation. And that was the beginning of the Cheap Chica's Guide to Style in 2008. And I have to take you back to 2008 because it was a long time ago. And back then, people didn't even know what a blog what? was. Yeah, you this was like, the first blog. yeah, this was like in, this was like, I always call it in like the Brian Boy days. Yes. I don't know if you know yes. who Brian Boy is, um, but he was one of the first bloggers that and I you followed. Would, you would follow on like Blog Lovin' or Blog Lovin', like you signed up for an RSS feed. Yeah. I mean, this like predates like fancy things like, yeah. like Squarespace and all of that stuff that people do now. Um, so I started in 08 and you know, 2008 was also a really hard year financially for everybody, particularly people my age. My friends were losing their jobs left and right. Um, all of a sudden, I was wondering how I was going to make my student loan payments. Um, interest rates were shooting through the roof. And I thought, this is the perfect time to start this conversation. And so I did. I went to TJ Maxx one day and I found like a theory blazer that was like, I don't know, 300 bucks. And I found it for like 1999. And wow. I came home and there was no one to talk to about it. Nobody cares. My husband was at a football game. And I was like, I know there's people out there that care. Let me put it on the internet. So I literally Googled, how do I start 
a blog and I followed it step by step. And that was the Chief Chica's Guide to Style. And because it was 2008, I think magazines were looking for a new voice um, when it came to fashion. And somebody at Glamour actually came across my blog and they featured it in this thing called Blogging Babes. I still have the article printed out and laminated like old school. (laughs) And um, from there, people just really started to connect with it. And luckily, a reporter in Philadelphia saw the blog and she was like, hey, could you do this in real life for a story on the 11 o'clock news? And I thought, of course I can. Because yeah. I always say yes to everything. Whether I can or can't do it does not matter. I can do it. That's that's something that I think everyone should note too. Mm-hmm. Always say yes to everything. Like you can figure it you out. You can figure it out. We're smart enough. There's technology at your disposal. And if you can't figure it out, there's probably somebody in your circle that can. But the one lesson there is you have to be willing to ask for help. And that's a lesson that took me many, many years to learn um, because you cannot do it by yourself. So if you say yes, just know that you're going to have to call in resources and be okay with that because it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so that was the beginning of the TV career. I started doing local TV in Philadelphia and I somehow tricked the news director at Channel 10 into giving me a weekly segment called The Cheap Chica's Guide on his four o'clock newscast um, because I had production experience and he was like, can you write good stories? I was like, yes. And he was like, can you go out and like tell that story to like our audience? I'm like, of course. He's like, can you edit? And I was like, no, no. No." Um, He caught me there, but he took a huge risk on me and I literally have him to thank for the career that I have in television. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So how did your um, Philly segment Mm -hmm. land you on the Today Show? Well, it was a long time. It, It took a lot. So they ghosted me for straight two years and I never lie about that because I know so many people that run their own businesses now Um, are probably feeling really stressed out about the fact that maybe they've emailed Today or GMA or any other network show and they're not getting a response. And frankly, you guys, it's not personal. And I've learned that now because I've been lucky enough to be there for the last, you know, eight years. It's not personal. It's just that they are overloaded and they are understaffed. And you almost just have to keep trying. And one day I promise somebody will say yes, or someone will stumble on an article about you. So do everything in tandem. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So when you're pitching the Today Show, you should also be pitching local. Like people don't realize how important local press is. I watch the local news every Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so while you're pitching the Today Show, and if that's your dream, that's awesome. But make sure you're taking baby steps when it comes to press in your market blogs, online publications, because you never know what producer at the Today Show might be reading one of those blogs and say, hey, I really like this girl. Meanwhile, you have no idea that they've been pitching you for two years, which was basically me. So as I was working hard at the Today Show, but I was also working hard at stations in Alabama. I would fly into Mobile to do local TV, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Dallas, um, St. Pete, Florida. I would, Boston, like I would go anywhere where people would book me on television. And I did that for two solid years. And then the way I got onto the Today Show was I made a relationship with somebody who was a publicist here in New York. And she had a great relationship with a producer there. And they wanted someone to do a rainy day style segment for like April showers. And she was able to convince me, convince them to give me a chance because I had built up a reel of all of these segments that I had done in these tiny markets. Mm-hmm. And I had been lucky enough to be doing things for Nate Burkus and the Access Hollywood. And they finally said yes, but they said yes because I had all of that experience. In my head, I thought I was ready when I pitched the Today Show. In reality, I wasn't ready. I really needed to practice and I needed like a hundred hours of TV under my belt to even begin to feel wow, ready. 100 hours? Yeah. It took a long time. And 
live TV is a bitch and it is fast and it is furious. And if you hesitate for one second, it feels like an eternity. And, you know, like I said, so it's, it's, yes, you think you're ready. You're usually not unless you really have put in the work and the time and the effort to just craft that segment perfectly. And you get three minutes. That's it. It's three minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. And yeah. you can't like mess up. You just have to like perform and be perfect mm-hmm. right then and there. You only get three minutes and it's live. There's yeah. no do-overs. There's no retakes. So if you answer the question wrong or you stumble or, you know, though I always was terrified of Kathy Lee, Hoda bef- Kathy Lee and Hoda before I knew them because they're so unpredictable, right? Like Kathy might say something totally random and take the segment in a different direction. And I always would say, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Um, and so I was terrified. Literally, I was like shaking before I went out. Luckily, she was totally calm that day. And Hoda is such like a steady guiding light and such a wonderful human being that she makes you feel like you're just like hanging out with her in your living room talking about your business. No pressure that like 20 million people are watching. Um, but you know, you have to be able to go with the flow and you have to know your brand and your product and your mission and your message so well that no matter if someone derails it by asking you a question that you weren't prepared for, you can always come back to center. Amazing. Um, so you also have another business, right? Mm-hmm. On the side. Um, can you tell us a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, totally. So um, I have a store called Tesoro Collective. Um, so a few years ago, um, we bought a house in Montauk, and Montauk is like my happy safe space. And I met a local business owner there who had a men's store. And I was like, well, I love your men's store, but what about the girls? Um, there's not a lot of shops in Montauk that carry fashion. And so he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I've worked for years at Ralph Lauren, and women's is just like not my thing. I'm only going to do what I do well, which is men's. And so my husband's like, well, that's funny that you say that, because my wife knows everything about women's fashion. Um, and luckily I had some friends in LA that work in a big buying offices for boutiques. And we kind of curated like a small collection, put it in his pop-up for the, as a pop-up for the summer. And it was super successful. So we took it off um, out of the store and put it online. And yeah, it's a curated collection of the essentials that I want for every season. And we change the inventory frequently and often. And it's been such an amazing adventure. But I have to say, retail is really, really hard. And you know this better than anyone. Like there are so many opportunities for people to shop now with Mm -hmm. Instagram and online that you really have to work at it 24 seven and it's hard to find an audience. It's hard to find a buyer, but luckily, you know, people find what they want and I have a great way of communicating with people through Instagram and through Twitter. And so we've been really lucky to have really loyal customers and it's been incredible to build this business because it's mine. Yeah. You know, amazing. There's nothing better. No. And is it all different price points staying true? So, yeah. So it's actually everything under the site is usually under $150. Um, so it's super affordable. It's accessible. And it's all stuff that I always say is like Liliana approved. So if you're ever like, oh, should I buy this when you're at another store? Just come to my store because everything in my store is Liliana approved. And I know you kind of like help people also like styling their mm-hmm. outfits as well. Yeah, that's a huge part of what I do. And it's probably the proudest that I am the proudest of it. Because there's so many amazing stylists that are working with celebrities and with like models. There's not a lot of people that help real women every single day. And that's why I partnered with Kohl's. Um, to me, it was basically like giving America a free stylist because what I do for Kohl's is I curate about a hundred looks every four to six weeks for their stores based on their brands and their labels. And so when you walk into a Kohl's shop and you see the outfit bar, you know that you can walk into the outfit bar and walk out with outfits that are suitable for your body type that fit within 
in your budget and that work for any of life's occasions, whether that's a girl's night out, maybe you're taking an amazing weekend trip to Miami. Um, and that's what the outfit bar is about. It's about sharing all of the tips and all of the expertise that I've learned over the last 10 years and putting that into tangible outfits that you can then incorporate into your wardrobe. And I think that's so important because people can have pieces, but just not know how to wear them. And it doesn't mean that you have to have only expensive pieces and that'll look good. Like I love doing like high, low, Mm -hmm. like always like mixing. You don't have to only like wear designer in order for it to look good. And you can also be wearing only designer and it not be stuck. I actually see that more often than not where I'm like, God, what's wrong with that? I'm like, oh, I get it. Okay. They have no style. (laughs) They can buy a lot of fashion, but there's no style. style. And yeah, like, I mean, even right now, like I'm wearing, so like these are, um, these are shoots boots. Um, this, I love them. And honestly, I feel like I bought a pair of boots like this from Zara last year. And I was just like so intimidated because I didn't know what to wear with that. I returned them and I was like, I wish I was like cool enough to like know how to, you are cool enough. I would never like think about this cute outfit. She's wearing like a black turtleneck and this black and white skirt with these python boots. Like I would, and and it looks like professional and oh, chic. Thank and you. I was like wearing them. And I was like, I don't know. I like feel hookery. Yeah. I, well, I and by myself. No, and and people always think that like I don't miss because it's what I do. For, I miss all the all the time. Really? Yeah. I miss in private, thankfully. <laughs> um. So I miss in private. Do you I don't like practice. Yes. Okay. I have like run throughs, practice. I do fittings where I'm like this looks weird or you know if I'm not feeling it I'm not gonna wear it like there's friends that I have that are so confident in their fashion choices they're like incredible like high fashion like stylists like that work for for Vogue and Elle and sometimes I'm like does does that work in real life and it does because they can sell it because they're confident exactly I feel like confidence Mm -hmm. is like oh you can wear anything you can literally wear anything if you're like I look hot like yeah and I feel good right because that's that's what it is to me it's like confidence is like oh I feel really good in this um but yeah I mean like so these are these are shuds but this is from Victoria Beckham's collection for Target like four years ago or three years ago yeah um and then this is from Forever 21 so I'm basically wearing Forever 21 in Target That's great. I love it. Um, but that's kind of my everyday. That's yeah. kind of my life. Like I definitely mix high low all the time. The other night I wore $35 leather joggers with Hermes boots. Yeah. And I was like, this is bad. This is bad. But it was great. Yeah. It was amazing. And I always think like, why would I wear like a black t-shirt that's like $300, you know? There's no need for that. There's, yeah. there's no need. I mean, listen, if you can afford it and it doesn't like hurt your bank account or your family or your budget, like more power to you. But I can also show you where to get a t-shirt that looks just like it. I need some tips for like $30. I, I get stuck in ruts, like where I wear like the same version every well, I think, single day. Yeah. And I think women have that. Like I definitely have my safety. I call it like my safety zone where if I'm feeling lazy or I just don't feel like trying, like I always go back to the same things. Black turtlenecks happen to be one of, black tops in general happen to be one of those yeah. things for me. Um, and yeah, you really have to push yourself to get out of it. And I I always say it's more fun to do with a partner. So like invite your best friend over that's like non-judgmental that also has like the same scary fashion fears that you do and like just do a fun try on sesh. Like women don't try on clothes for fun enough. It's always something that we go out and do because like oh well I have to get an outfit for clothes should be fun. They should make you feel happy. Mm -hmm. So have more fun with clothes. And part of doing that, I think is sharing that experience with a really good girlfriend or whoever your best friend is, have them come over and like both try on crazy stuff and be like, Oh no, you can get away with that. And there's nothing better than having another female, like pump you up when it comes to fashion. Yeah. Even beauty too. Same thing, you know? Totally. So what would you say is your spark? Like what ignites like your passions, your Mm -hmm. motivations? Um, I think it goes back to 
what I've always wanted to do, which is storytelling. I think that's what ignites kind of my spark every single day. Um, when I get to tell an incredible story or I get to participate in someone else's story, that's what really motivates me and, and drives me. And I think when you work in television, your job is to be a storyteller. Like, yes, of course, you're some people are journalists, others are reporters, or however you want to call it. Some people are content creators. But at the end of the day, you're telling your story. And anytime I can tell my story and shine a light on somebody else, um, it really does feel good. And that's what I would love to do more of. Like the most rewarding stories I've ever told on the Today Show are never about me and never focus on me. Um, if anything, I'm the one sitting in the edit room being like, oh, you can cut five here and you can cut three here. And they're like, wait, but then you're not going to be in the piece. And I'm like, I don't need to be in the piece to tell the story. Like they need to be in the piece. Like I get to introduce this piece on national television. Like that person deserves 10 more seconds of airtime, not me. And when you're willing to make those kinds of cuts, whether it's in a meeting or, you know, when you're sitting down with a coworker, like the less it is about you, I always think the stronger the story is. Um, anytime you can like give somebody else a voice. And especially when you have a platform like the Today Show or like Access Hollywood, it's so valuable and I don't take that responsibility lightly. Um, and it's really important to me to be able to tell those stories. What are your favorite types of stories to tell? Um, I would say that my favorite, I always have something to do with people that sacrifice and do more than I could ever do. I always say like, I wish that I was a more selfless person, but when I mean selfless, I remembered going out to Neville's Air Force Base um, right outside of Las Vegas. And I got to spend the day with the Thunderbirds, which are the elite Air Force team that gets to fly those incredible air shows. And they were so incredibly generous and let me ride in one of the flights. And we pulled nine Gs that day. And telling their story, um, it's the Air Force men and women and their families and the crew that never gets any attention, where I was like, wow, like this is what I'm here and this is what I want to do more of. So anytime I can tell someone's story that involves any level of, of sacrifice and bravery, I'm like sold, like sign me up. And obviously, like, I also like the idea of adventure, too, because I think whenever you push people outside of their comfort zone, that's really when the magic happens. And do you think that you kind of feel that way from, like, having immigrant parents or? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, I think that immigrants all get painted with the same brush too often, especially in the current political climate. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to grow up in a community where most people were immigrants and come from varied backgrounds. So I grew up in a very Mexican household, but my neighbors were not Mexican, right? They were from like South America. Like we had Brazilian neighbors and we also had people that had come from like the Czech Republic. So when you grow up with immigrant stories all around you, it does become the narrative. Sadly, most people don't get to know those stories. And so I think for me, yeah, I think being able to give a voice to that and the nuance of being somebody that is from the Czech Republic and new to the U.S. is very different than my mom's experience being from Guadalajara and coming to Texas. And the more you learn about those people and the more you know their story and you know their struggle and their sacrifice, the more you're able to empathize with them. And I think that's what is lacking right now is that if you're not out there telling those stories actively, which I don't think we do a good enough a good enough job of. And um, I wish we did more of that on the shows that I work on. I think that you're not really getting to know these people. And yeah. once you know them, I think you're going to understand where they come from so much better. And you're really going to approach them and this entire issue and this debate with so much more kindness. I grew up in Miami Beach, so mm -hmm. surrounded by yeah. all sorts of immigrants, both my parents are immigrants my yeah. dad came from Belgium and was like 
um, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and my mom's from Taiwan and they were refugees from China as well. Mm-hmm. So even just growing up in like a family of from two totally different totally worlds, different. but like with similar types of struggles even, I think it does like help shape and like appreciate other people and like where they're from and their culture. And I think that is something that is lacking and it's so important and it goes back to like the storytelling yeah, and the sacrifice that like, I don't even like understand. Yeah. And even like just thinking about it, like when I actually sit down with like my aunts or my mom and like have those conversations and I always tell people like, have those conversations and have the hard conversations and ask questions because you never know how long you're going to have these people. And I think one of my biggest regrets is not having those conversations with my grandmother when she was alive. Um, I obviously knew her story through my uncles and my mom and my cousins, but to hear it from them Mm -hmm. is very different and it's incredibly powerful. And now that I don't have her and like, we're thinking about having our own kids, it's like one of the biggest regrets that I have because I wish I knew more. Um, and my mom even said the same thing. She's like, God, it's like, I knew so, I knew so little about this woman that I thought I knew so much of. So hopefully I'll get a chance to tell more of those kind of, I call them like first generation stories, um, because they're all different, you Mm -hmm. know, but they are linked, Mm -hmm. um, in that struggle and in that survivor because there's, we're survivors, right? And I think you get like, I don't know if it's because you're first generation, but I feel like you get like a little bit of like extra hustle. Oh, because oh extra. Lot, you get like extra, extra supersized hustle. like a lot of pressure, you know? Yeah. And you have to be like creative. Like both my parents never went to college. Yeah. They um, were both entrepreneurs. So I feel like you get a lot of that when you like grow up yeah. in that kind of environment. But I think I think that is most kids that I meet that are first generation that are running their own businesses now in their like late 20s or in their early 30s. It's like they get it from their parents. You get that drive to succeed and it's also a drive to please. I also there's a flip side of it too. Like yeah. it's not all like it's not all like rainbows and roses. <laughs> it, there there is an acceptance there and a need to please because you feel like you're never going to make up for the amount of sacrifice that they went through. Mom and dad be pleased with me. Yeah, please I just want to make you happy, but you just want them to be proud of you. Right. And like, listen, they were, they'd be proud of you if you did nothing like they, well, okay, maybe not nothing. They're (laughs) I'm like, not my mom, but you know, they would, they just want you to be happy. But I know that, you know, on the flip side, there's so much pressure. And I remember I follow a comedian on Instagram. Her name is Cristela Alonso and she's an incredible writer and actress and comedian. And one of the things she posted one time was, you know, I think as first generation kids, you don't just carry like your own success. Like you carry the weight of the fact that your parents didn't have the opportunity to do that as well. It's a heavy load to carry and it's a lot of pressure that you put on yourself. And you're, you feel responsible for your whole family. Like, I don't just feel responsible for like my husband and I, like I feel responsible for my brother, for my mom, for my aunts, for my cousins, for my Thea, like all of it. And it's not that they put that pressure on me. It's that when you do break out, because there's been so few opportunities in the past for people like us to break out, you carry that with you. And it's something that like, I'm trying to be better about. Um, but there's a responsibility there because oftentimes you are the first, yeah. you know, and the first, the one that breaks through the walls is usually like the bloodiest and the most <laughs> battered. Um, but they taught you and they raised you to do that. And it's mm-hmm. amazing to be able to do it, but there's a lot of pressure there. That's not easy to manage. Yeah. But I think that like probably contributes to like your spark and telling other people's mm-hmm. stories. So this is a good time to transition from yeah. spark to sparkle. Ooh. Okay. So first and foremost, I want to gift you our spark ring. What? Which is... (laughs) 
I thought we were just talking about diamonds. I didn't know I was getting that. So we designed this ring. Um, oh my gosh. It's kind of like a daily reminder of like what ignites your spark just to look down and, you know, feel good. You guys. And connects you to like this larger community of like women. That's yeah. incredible. If this doesn't fit you, we'll get your Oh my gosh. <laughs> By the way, I have to say. Um, yes. So I also wanted to say. A few months ago, we met with Liliana and we designed together this amazing um, crossover baguette ring. Mm-hmm. And we're actually today releasing it on the site. And it really? Is, yes. So it'll be available to everyone and it's called the Liliana ring. So head over to theclearcut.co to check it out. Oh my gosh, you are so amazing. I have to say, when I brought the idea for this in... I was like, is this going to look good? Everything you do looks oh beautiful. Yeah. And I was so lucky to be able to come in and design this with you. And it just was so much better in real life than I could have it ever imagined great. it. And I absolutely love it. I get so many compliments on it. And it just feels so special. And it was for my anniversary. Mm-hmm. And you know, in full disclosure, my husband and I had like not the easiest 11th year of marriage. It was our 11th year of marriage. And so when he was like, listen, like, what do you want? I was like, I, I want something that like kind of like, puts us into this new phase of our marriage. We call it our second marriage, even though it's with the same person. Um, It's our second marriage with each other. And I always look at this and I'm like, this is a reminder that like we're on marriage 2.0 and Mm -hmm. 2.0 is better than 1.0. And it's just amazing that jewelry has the power to obviously like spark and sparkle, but it also has the power to like completely like redefine and like reimagine what something is. And that's what I think is so amazing about jewelry is that it's so much more than just like a shiny, like luxury Mm -hmm. product. There's like it, you don't even have to have like the most expensive, amazing piece that can have like the most intense, like emotional connection or sentimental value. So we always ask some, all of our guests to bring, um, a special piece of jewelry. Did you bring it? I did. Okay. So I'm wearing it. Um, so I am very, I would say spiritual. I'm less religious, but spiritual and I'm religious, but not in the way that I was raised. I was raised Catholic. And so my mom, there's like this thing in like traditional Mexican culture. And it says it's when someone gives you ojo, ojo means eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that like evil eye? It's like evil eye. Yeah. yeah but we call it Ojo, oh, yeah. because it's just I. You don't. I. I don't think it. There's, but it's the same thing. It's bad, and you don't want it. <laughs> um, and so, part of growing up Mexican is like there's all these like crazy like witch story. It, it's like it's fun. I mean, it's not bad. It's like a fun thing. And so, I have an evil eye ring. And my mom. Anytime my mom says that, like she's sent getting like a sense that something bad is like happening. My mom has like all these weird like superstitions. Six senses. Six senses. <laughs> she's just like I don't know. She's connected to me in that way, and she lives in. Fort Worth so it's not like we're here and she'll be like put on the evil eye ring and I'm like okay I'm putting it on putting it on on. I don't even mess around and so it connects me to her because she's like my mom and like they know you like you grew inside them like if she tells me something's going on like I'm listening to her and so I wear it partially because it connects me to her but also kind of like for protection Protection, and I also just feel like she's with me when Mm -hmm. I put it on Um, so I'm wearing it right now and and she didn't say that anything bad was happening today or this week (laughs) at all but you wanted me to wear something so I thought I would wear this my mom makes me wear something to protect against evil what is it but it's not as pretty it's a red string so I wear it like around my ankle oh my gosh Um, and you'll always see me either wearing like a red string on my wrist or ankle always since I was born Really? Mm-hmm. And she made my husband start wearing one too. 
So he always has a red Listen, shirt. Listen, moms know. Yeah. She's They're, like, just in case. Because, what, I mean, why, why do you want to take a chance? Is it that hard to wear a red string? Just for fun because you love antique diamonds. Did you bring me an antique diamond? I did. Oh my gosh, what is it? I brought you an eight carat. I can see it. Antique cushion cut just for fun to play with. This is not Maybe okay. Maybe for 20 years. Maybe for 20. My husband will be like, sure. If you win the lot. Oh. oh my gosh. Okay, so this is eight carats. Yeah. And it's it's more of that like elongated kind of square silhouette. Mm-hmm. But you can see it has those chunky facets. Oh. Um, it's not a true old mine. This is something I would say is like more of like a... I would call it an antique cushion just because it's kind of in between a modern cushion and an old miner. Okay. It has those big facets, but you can still kind of see the more um, square silhouette. This is absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. I would lit- I'm taking my ring off now. I'm putting I was like, that I one. I gotta bring the big guns. Yeah, no, bring out the big ones. <laughs> that dwarfs my stone. No, no, no. Like, I. Huge. <laughs> This is just... That's quite special. <laughs> that is quite special. That's beautiful. Now, do you... I've always thought about this. So my original engagement ring, do you tell people to never change that? You don't. You tell people to do whatever they want. Do whatever you want with it. But will I be sad when my daughter's like, oh, if I have a daughter, or my son, whoever wants to know. If they're like, oh, show me like the like show me your engagement ring. And I'm like, oh, I turned it into a necklace, or I changed the setting. Like... I just, would I, would I be sad? I mean, I think it's a personal choice, but I think the most important thing is the stone, right? Mm-hmm. So having that the sentimental stone. value that it may not be, maybe the ring whenever you got married was not, was like the in style then, but now you don't love it anymore, but you still love the stone and the story behind it. I think that's what's most important because they'll probably reset it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that actually makes me feel a lot better because I've actually thought about that. And I think... Yeah, like I love the stone. Like it's such a beautiful color um, and I love the shape of that stone, but I feel like there's a setting that could really do it justice. And for whatever reason, like it's just not doing it justice. Rings, it's all about the stone and the setting can be changed based on like the fashion trends or Mm -hmm. what it suits you in your life at this point. You yeah. Know? Like I want to do my pink sapphire in like a rose gold skinny band. Oh my God, I feel like that would look so good. Don't you think that would yeah. look so beautiful? Yeah. And like, I just want to do it, but then I'm scared that I'm going to ever, or maybe I'll just keep the setting. Keep the setting. And maybe. just pop the stone out. Exactly. And you can always set it back in. It's, Next project. It's like changing its outfit. Oh my gosh. I love that yeah. because you can just put it right back in. I'm not going to like melt the setting. We're just going to keep, keep it setting. and then just take the stone and put it. Cause I've been thinking you do the most beautiful, like super, super skinny, tiny bands. <laughs> and I thought, God, this pink sapphire would be so beautiful. And then maybe you'd wear it more. I probably would. Yeah. I would probably wear it more. I saw a ring that you guys just did when you did, was it an emerald and a diamond together for mm-hmm. somebody? And I actually was like, Oh, that's really cool mm-hmm. to do like a colored stone with a diamond next to it. Like in the same ring. Twi- like that means like you and I like two stone rings oh. have been really popular really ever since Emily Ratajkowski got engaged was that her ring yeah she had two stones and what was it like a I think hers was a pear shape and princess cut both diamonds but wow. you can pair it with a colored stone or that's with cool separation in the middle together there's like no rules there's no that's what I love about now and I also feel like women Jackie Kennedy had a emerald and a um 
diamond together too. too in so. her engagement ring? Mm-hmm. Re- well, I mean, if Jackie Kennedy, yeah. I mean, we can only hope, right? To be as chic and timeless and beautiful yeah. as her. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I love that. I saw somebody wearing two solitaires together, pushed together to give the illusion mm-hmm. of two stones. And I thought it was like so cool. Yeah. I love jewelry. You're so lucky that you get to do this and you get to I like, <laughs> and you get to surround yourself with like beautiful jewelry and I stones. Mean, you have my dream job. I know. We should just switch for a day. We should. I would be a terrible jewelry designer, no, for the record. We designed your ring. We d- I know, but like your attention to detail, um, and I think that's why people like love working with you, is because you know that there's not going to be a single detail that goes missed. And you're making, I think for most people, one of the biggest purchases, yeah. um, at least in the beginning of their life. And like you basically want it to feel like you through the process, and I think you give people that like confidence. I know you helped a friend of mine. I can't say his name because... God forbid his soon to hasn't proposed yet. Okay. He hasn't proposed yet. Um, but you helped him and he was like, Oh my God, that was like the best thing ever. Cause I think it's really stressful. It is. It is very stressful. And there's so many like different things to like learn about. And you've become like an expert. You <laughs> just want to purchase and then like never have to think about it. I never it. have to. Well, I mean, hopefully you think about it again and you continue to have like customers for life because I think you even said this like, yes, obviously jewelry is an amazing way to mark an engagement and an anniversary, but it's also just a great way to mark anything. Yeah. Right? Like it's something you're going to have forever. Um, and, and like you I said, pass down like anything mm-hmm. that you buy now can become an heirloom. Yeah. Um, that's special to whoever later on. And it can just be like the simplest, like, diamond on, on it can be anything i mean because i think what people want is an heirloom something that was special to that person it's like less like oh it's some big expensive. huge expensive thing it's like oh this is something my mom wore every day or something my grandmother never took off um so i think that's true it's like redefining what that heirloom piece is because it's just something super special to you mm-hmm. that you want to share with somebody else exactly i love it oh my god i'm so excited this is awesome thank you so much thank for you I, are you kidding thank you <laughs> This is beautiful, and I just like loved getting to know you, and I am so happy for all of your success. I love seeing people just completely like break out of whatever box the rest of the world wants them to live in, and I feel like oftentimes people are like, oh, but you're a jewelry designer, or oh, but you talk about fashion, or oh, you do this. But I have like seen you completely like break out of that mold, and like, yes, of course, you're an amazing designer, but like now you're a host of a podcast. I mean, look at that. Maybe I'll be on the Today Show. Maybe you'll be on the Today Jewelry one day. I'll have to write That's, my pitch. And practice it. Yes. A lot. I'll help you. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, but no, it's incredible. You're like really redefining the rules of what it means to like do jewelry today. And it's amazing. Because I feel like the industry is changing so much. There's no like, you have to be in retail only. You have to be like just a designer. Like why? Well, I think that's, I think we got sick of that, right? We got sick of being told like, you can't do this or you can only do this. And then finally we decided to just voice the why versus just think it in our heads. Because I know for years I was like, okay, I hear you. And then silently I was like, And then I finally like spoke the why out and then they don't have a really good answer for it. And to me, that was the opening to getting a yes to something that they thought I couldn't do. And you know what? A lot of people are scared to like take the first step to like start their blog or like do anything. And Mm -hmm. I feel like what is the worst that can happen? Like just try and if it doesn't succeed, try something else. Try something different. And by the way, you're going to learn. Yeah. And like, that's my always, like I always want to be learning. Like I never want to stop learning. Because then you're bored. You're bored and then you're going to get stale and old and like the whole world's going to keep learning and moving on ahead of you. So like stay current, try something different and like you're going to learn something, whether you're going to learn how to be better at what you're already doing or you're going to learn that you don't want to do it again. Yeah. You know, so, well, thank you for having me on. This was delightful. Um, And we're, 
where can people watch you, yeah. find you, follow you? <laughs> <laughs> so you can follow me on Instagram at Liliana Vasquez, and then you can catch me on the Today Show um, and Access Hollywood. Amazing. And head to our YouTube channel if you want to see all the beautiful jewels that we are looking at today. Um, it's at The Clear Cut. And head to theclearcut.co if you want to shop the Liliana ring. I was going to say, you guys, you're going to want to shop this ring. <laughs> it's really good. It's beautiful. I'm telling you, I love it. And, of course, follow us on Instagram at The Clear Cut. And make sure you follow her stories because they're really good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys.